0: that will bind Jesus coming to meet our needs. He He will transcend every power that we know in this world to meet the needs that
1: we have. Imagine being on a boat at night and looking out and seeing Jesus walking on the water. From John chapter six, this is a miracle that is famous and many of us know about. But do we truly understand the meaning of why it was that Jesus walked on the water? Do we understand that this points to a, a greater significance for what Jesus actually came to do for us? Well, join us today from the pulpit of Cedar Point Baptist Church as Tyler Ford exposits God's Word from John 6, verses 16 through 21, and shows us the true meaning of of why Jesus walked on the water.
0: We come to the Gospel of John, and as the Jewish reader would read about the Gospel of John, would read the Gospel of John in the first century, and they would read about Jesus walking on the water and how Jesus had power over the water, it would be very clear to them that the salvation that the Israelites had experienced through God parting the sea and them going through it is the redemption that Jesus is bringing to His people. And so, that's where our minds need to begin. uh, uh, Well, as we read about these miracles, we are taken back by them. The great, mighty works of Christ that we read on the pages of Scripture, where He fed the 5,000... Uh, bread, or more than 5,000, out of the small amount that he started with. As he walks on the water at night, and, and, and we like those things, we love to think about it, but they're ultimately pointing to a greater miracle that God, through Christ, would bring redemption for his people. So let's not get stuck on the miracle happening, but let's notice what the miracle is telling us that our Savior has come. And that's ultimately what is being told in this text. I think we can sum it up very well with 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 9, where Paul said, but but," as Christ is speaking to Paul, he says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And we see, we see that in our very weak state, our inability to atone for our own sin, Christ has made a way. Keep that in your minds as we work through this text because we're going to come back to it. So let's jump in here in John 6, verses 16 through 21. and, And let's see... Let's look at this story. First, we can see it says, When evening came, that his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was dark. And Jesus had not had not yet come to them. Uh, Let's go to Mark's gospel in Mark chapter 6. I'm going to read one first. This is Mark's account of, of what John has written here. Mark gives us a little bit more details. Uh, He says in verse 45, immediately, Jesus, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, uh, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. So so I just want us to see there um, that uh, the disciples getting in the boat and going to the other side was by direction of Jesus. Jesus had instructed them to do that. Uh, Jesus knew what was coming, and that's, that's how I want to start this story. Is, is for us to understand that as Jesus put them in the boat, told them to go on the other side, He knew what was getting ready to happen to them. He knew they were going to be in great distress because a bad storm was getting ready to come upon them as they crossed the sea. Uh, now we see that in verse 18. We see the description, a smaller description of the storm. It said, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. So a strong wind in the Sea of Galilee. I don't know if you've ever been out in the ocean on a boat. I, we, we went out not, we've been on a cruise, but we can't tell on those. But we went out once in Maine. We were in Maine and we went whale watching in Maine. And, and we went the summer, but it was cool in Maine in the summer. It's, you know, 50 degrees. I forget, they gave, you know, we had to make sure we had big heavy jackets and and to go out because once you got out, you know, away from the land and the wind was blowing up in the northeast, the waters became kind of rough. Uh, So that's kind of the scene we have here as they're crossing the Sea of Galilee. The wind had picked up, and because the wind had picked up, the, the, the waves had become rough in the sea. It was a, it was a, a stressful time for uh, the, follow, the followers of Jesus. Maybe even so much that they feared for their very life as they crossed the sea at night. Now, these men were great fishermen. We know that from the calling that Jesus called them from their boats. Uh, they were fishermen. They were you know, adept at being able to cross the sea. They knew what they were doing. But, clearly, because John has wrote this in our text, and we can see in the other Gospel accounts, uh, this situation was not an ideal situation even for uh, the most experienced uh, fishermen. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, it says they saw Jesus walking on the sea. Now, this happened in the fourth watch of the night. Uh, as we see in the other accounts. This was about 3 a.m. in the morning. So this is after a long day. They had already crossed the scene earlier. They're now They sat. They ate. They listened to Jesus. They had passed out all the food. They had got back in the boat to cross back to the other side. And at 3 a.m. in the morning, they're rowing for their lives, trying to get back to dry land. Uh, this was about a six to seven hour trip. This wasn't like getting in a boat, starting up your your motor, and then getting to the other side. This was hard work. So we have to think about what was in their mind as all this was going on. What were they thinking about? Now we know what has just happened previously in our text. That Jesus had just fed over 5,000 people out out of five loaves and a few fish. That he had just done a miraculous act and they all had sat there and witnessed it. Not only did they witness it, but they're the ones that passed out the food. They're the ones that took up the collection. <clears throat> probably, I mean, we don't really know. We kind of talked about it a little bit last week, but but, but probably they had the remaining, the remaining amount of the, bro- the bread with them as they were crossing back to the other side. Uh, so, I mean, it, even what was going through their minds as Jesus had told them to cross the sea And now this great storm had come upon them. Waves were crashing up against their boat. They're they're out rowing the boat at 3 o'clock in the morning, trying to get to the other side, worried about their life. Why did Jesus do this? Why did He send them to the other side? To teach them. To help their faith. They had just seen them, seen Jesus care for people that he did not know. 5 to 8,000 eight people that he did not really know. People that had just started following him. <coughs> but now Jesus wants to show his followers that he cares for them too. Because here's what can can happen to us sometimes. As we follow Christ in our lives, and as we sometimes become, maybe it's not the right wording, but we become the hands and feet of Jesus. We're active in ministry. We're doing things for the glory of God. We're serving the people of this world. We kind of can lose focus sometimes that Jesus cares for us as well. And maybe that's what was going on here. You know we're we're you know six chapters into John, uh, Jesus has you know we have a couple miracles that have been recorded, and John doesn't record all the miracles, but we we've seen some of them. We we've seen Jesus at the wedding of Cana turning the water to wine. We saw him cleanse the temple. Then he had his his, his conversation with Nicodemus. Um, and then we, we get back to, to John chapter 4 and we see Jesus going to the woman of Samaria and He has His followers with Him there. Um, we see Him heal an official son. We see Him healing at the, the pool of the Sabbath in chapter 5. Uh, we see Him dealing with the, the Pharisees in the remainder of chapter 5. We've now seen Him feed the 5,000 at this point. So maybe James, John, Luke, Mark, Peter, and the other Andrew, the others are kind of sitting back and saying, well, he's got us busy, but what about us? What about us? So Jesus tells them to get the boat and go to the other side. And we see that as they go to the other side, the storms start to rage. If we know anything about the Christian life, we know that we go through storms in our Christian life. And before we really get into the the three points of application in our text, I want to say this about the storms of life. Much as we see Jesus directing the disciples to go to the other side, go into the storm, he He does the same for us as well. The storms that we go through in life often are authored by our good Father who is in heaven. He puts us in the midst of storms because He wants us to know, as the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians earlier, that His grace is sufficient for us. That in our weakness, in our weakness, His grace is made known strong to us. We go back to that text in 2 Corinthians, and and what that is—that's Paul with the thorn, you know, the Paul with the thorn of the flesh. What is the thorn of the flesh? Well, nobody really knows what the thorn of the flesh is. You know, it could be a false teacher. That's kind of where I lean. It could be a bodily ailment. Paul had those. Uh, it, it could have been some awful church remember' some church that he was dealing with. You don't really know. But Paul clearly had a thorn in his flesh. And so Paul says, um, really in that chapter 12 of Second Corinthians, uh, starting in verse 1, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in body or out of body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up in the paradise, whether in body or out of body, I don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I, I will not boast, except in my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times... I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Sometimes the thorn that we have, whatever that trial or whatever that suffering is, it is so that God's power may be perfected in your weakness. You know, the the disciples, the followers of Jesus in our text today, they had a clear weakness happening in that text. The power of that storm and the sea was overcoming to them. They were not, they were not probably, if you read the other text, it implies strongly, they were not going to make it out of that a lot. In their weakness, though, we see Christ made strong. So I want to contest you three things. As we go through storms. As we go through trials, that we're going to say Jesus is the author of those things. Three things that we see Jesus doing in our text that I think we certainly can apply to our lives today. First, Jesus is watching. He is watching. We read in the other accounts of this text and we won't, we won't go there to save times, but it says that Jesus goes up to the mount and He watches as they go across. And, and it implies that in that text, and I think the land, of the land, the sea of Galilee was kind of down in a bowl almost. That, that he was up on the mountain and he could see them going all the way across. He was watching. Jesus is always watching over our lives. Our lives are before his eyes. Let's go to 1 Samuel. And look at the story of David and Goliath. We see in David and Goliath, and that's in 1 Samuel 17, and I'm going to look at verses 37 and then look at verses 45 and 47. And I want you just to see what David says. I don't want to focus too much on David versus the giant, but just David's general attitude as he gets ready to face the giant. Listen to what he says in verse 37. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear." will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul sweat said to him, David, said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. We go down to verse 45. And it says, Then David said to the Philistine, that's Goliath, You come to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a javelin, But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have to follow. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know it know may know that the God The Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hand. So, notice David's just general stance as he goes into this battle. He doesn't boast in his strength, he doesn't boast in what he can do, but actually, what David does is he boasts in his weakness, but that the Lord, the Lord will uh, have victory in this battle the Lord who delivered me. David said to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come in the name of the Lord. And notice then what David says at the end of this text. That all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with spear and sword, for the battle is the Lord that He will give you into my hand. Let's think about that for a moment. Let's think about these men getting in this boat, crossing the sea at night. They made it across. The text tells us that. What do you think the stories were like the next day? What do you think they said to their families? What do you think they said to their friends? What do you think they said as they went in out into the market? What do you think they said amongst themselves? We weren't going to make it. But Jesus came to us. He silenced the sea in the wind. He got into the boat. and We made it to the other side. Always watching. We see again in Psalms 34, verse 15. David, it's Psalm of David. David says, "The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears hear their cry." Moving to Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. This is a little different. This is a psalm of David. And David even expressing that he cannot get away from the eyes of the Lord. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed shield, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be not, even the darkness is not too dark for you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. We go to the New Testament. We look at Peter. What Peter says to suffering Christians, people who are suffering for righteousness sake, for following Jesus, he says in verse number 12 of chapter 3, 1 Peter, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Peter knew that. Peter knew that because he was on that boat. He knew the eyes of the Lord would always be upon the righteous. And you can take heart in that as well. As you are in the midst of of storms and trials in your life, Jesus is always watching. But our next point, Jesus is not just an onlooker. Jesus also steps in and helps. He doesn't just sit back and, and as an audience to see what's going to happen, but He steps into the situation and He helps the situation. We see in our text that Jesus left down from the mountain. He came to them, but notice how Jesus came to them. He didn't get in another boat and speed out to them. No, He came to them in a very miraculous way. So what, what I want you to see here is and we talked about this last week when Jesus fed the 5,000, that when Jesus comes to our help, there is no law of nature, there is no power of earth that will bind Jesus coming to meet our needs. He will, he will transcend every power that we know in this world to meet the needs that we have. He will use miraculous means to meet the needs that we have. We need to understand that because that's what we see Jesus doing in our text. Jesus shows His power over the air, over the wind, over the sea, over the storm, over the earth, over everything that we can imagine to meet the needs of His disciples. And He wants to make sure that they know that. Notice, He's the one that sent them. And by sending them, Jesus knew the storm was coming. And Jesus knew He was going to walk, on them, on, walk to them on water. And Jesus knew He was going to at the storm. And Jesus knew He would get back in the boat with them and they would make it to the other side. Because Jesus wants them to know without a shadow of a doubt, by the time this little scene is over, they know there is nothing that can stop it. And number three, Jesus will bring you home. He would bring them home. They made it to the other side. We see in verse 21, then they were glad to take Him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at land to which they were going. He will bring us home. Acts chapter 2, verse 28 says, You have made known to me the paths of life, And You will make me full of gladness with Your presence. Go back to the Psalms 28, verse number 7. It says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. In Him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts with my song. I give thanks to Him. In Psalm 37, verse number 5. But We'll come to that in a moment. Jesus will bring you home. It's almost as if in our text here we have the story of the Christian life. And that's what I want us to see. That Jesus commissions us to go. He tells us to go. We come to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, and we have the Great Commission. We see it at the beginning of the book of Acts, and Jesus tells his disciples, He said, You're going out right now. In the book of Acts, he says, You take care of Jerusalem, you take care of Judea and then Samaria and all the world. You go go out and you do the work of ministry. And as we go out and we do the work of ministry, we know Jesus is watching. And as we meet trials in the work of ministry, we know Jesus does not just watch, but He will move heaven and earth to help. And we know that as we enter into those trials and as Jesus comes alongside us to make us know His grace is sufficient, we have the promise that Jesus will bring us home. That he will take us to the very end. And a lot of us know that. A lot of us have been in the boat, on the sea, in storms. And we have seen the work of Christ in our lives to bring us through trials. But maybe that's foreign to some people here. So what do we do? First, you believe in the authority of the Bible. You understand that you cannot help yourself. In this picture that we have today in our text, we have expert fisher, Expert fishermen. In a boat, on a sea. Probably getting ready to lose their lives. With all their expertise, they could not help themselves. But Jesus is able to do what you cannot. Do. That's the story of the text, and that's ultimately what this text is looking forward to. That we cannot save ourselves. That we have a problem, and that problem is. Sin. And as much as we try, as hard as we fight, we cannot overcome the sin in our lives. We will we can we can we can discipline ourselves as Paul says we can beat our bodies into discipline. We still will not be able to overcome the power of sin in our lives. We will never be able to atone to pay the price that that pay the cost that sin has put on our heads. Because the wages of sin is death is what the Bible says. The cost is that a perfect sacrifice had to be made to meet the righteous requirement of God. But just as Jesus was able to feed the 5,000, just as Jesus was able to come to the disciples on the water and get them to the other side. Jesus has made a way. He is able to do what you and I cannot do. He went to an old rugged cross. He laid down his life. He paid the price, the atonement that had to be made to meet the righteous requirement of God. God said to meet the requirement of sin One must be sinless of land without blemish. And Jesus was just that. No one took Jesus' life. Jesus laid His life down. But you have to commit yourself to Him. That's what you have to do. You have to commit yourself to them. Psalm 37, verse number 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust Him. Listen to what it says. And He will act. So what does that mean? What does that just look like? It means turning from your sin. Not being committed to a sinful way of life and following after the world. But turning from that and now committing yourself to God and His ways. His way of righteousness. And then then trusting Him, having faith in what this Bible says Jesus has done. And then it says He will act. He will do what we've been talking about all morning. He will watch over your life. He will always step in and help. He won't just watch and stand back and hope you make it. No, He's like a good Father and He helps you along the way. And not only that, He will be the one to bring you home. You won't have to wonder when you get to the end, am I going to make it? No. He will bring you home. As you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you can fear no evil because the good shadow is with you. He will bring you home.
1: Jesus is watching, Jesus steps in and helps, and Jesus will ultimately bring us home. Good reminders from God's Word today in John chapter 6. Thank you for listening today to our sermon cast. Make sure to listen to our regular podcast that comes out each and every Saturday morning. And go to our website, halfwaythereministries.org for many resources to help you on your journey home.